0: all with even less restraint than usual. Join us once more on 60 Saws That Explain the 90s every Wednesday on Spotify.
1: This episode is brought to you by Thomas's. Thomas's presents
2: Technique with Tom. Slicing an English muffin with a butter blade? Balderdash! Just pull apart with your hands and marvel in the nooks and crannies splendour. For each one is unique like a snowflake. <laughs> Thomas's. Huzzah! A toast to breakfast.
1: Hello, and welcome into The Ringerverse, your Nexus podcast feed for all things fandom. I am Ben Lindbergh, a senior editor at The Ringer, and I am forming one point of a Triforce today because I am joined once again by Ringer senior staff writer, Justin Charity, and Ringer deputy art lead, Matt James. Hello, guys. Ben, hello. Hello. Happy to be back. (laughs) Thanks for putting down your furra pads and rejoining (laughs) me. I appreciate it. (laughs) We have gathered today to discuss Nintendo's The Legend of Zelda, Tears of the Kingdom. But Ben, the real Ringerverse heads are saying, didn't the three of you already discuss Tears of the Kingdom? So we did. Great memory. But A game this massive demands multiple podcasts, so we have cast recall or exploited a duplication glitch or reassembled the sages for a second episode that will dive even deeper into Tears of the Kingdom than we could a few days after getting the game. Last time we talked, we were weaklings or weak links with a handful of hearts who got winded climbing small walls. Now we can climb mountains and bokoblins cower at our approach. So we have much to discuss. Tears the Kingdom has been out for almost three weeks. We have seen much more of it. And so we're also going to talk about much more of it, which means you can expect some light story spoilers, I would say. But look, it's a Zelda game. So on a plot level, it's almost pre-spoiled. You kind of know from the beginning how it's going to go. I don't think Tears of the Kingdom is a very spoilable experience, and I don't think there's anything we'll say today that I wouldn't have wanted to hear when I was just starting out. Plus, we won't talk about the actual ending because none of us has seen it yet. (laughs) So for (laughs) all I know, Link is never reunited with Zelda, and the Demon King kills him and rules Hyrule forever, (laughs) and the Tears of the Kingdom are the ones we shed after the tragic last scene. We'll just have to stay tuned, and you'll have to stay tuned to the Ringerverse feed because there's one more podcast coming this week. On Friday, the Midnight Boys will be back to discuss another young hero who's great at climbing walls and sticking stuff together, (laughs) Spider-Man. Actually, Spider-Men and Spider-Women and assorted Spider-Beings because the guys are going to give you their instant reactions to Across the Spider-Verse. And I saw it on Tuesday, so here is my instant reaction. It's as good a sequel to Into the Spider-Verse as Tears of the Kingdom is to Breath of the Wild. So get excited, go see it this weekend, and you'll be ready on Monday when House of R drops their Spider-Verse Deep Dive. So... Let's quickly update everyone on where each of us is in this game. Matt, how many hours have you sunk into this thing, and where are you in
3: the story? My Switch tells me I'm 75-plus hours in. (laughs) (laughs) I have completed two of the four temples. I have 18 hearts, two stamina rings. I got the pure pad all decked out. I've just been exploring a lot and haven't really put much pressure on myself to try and beat the game. I'm enjoying the ride. And uh, I need to find this place where I can build a house because that'll be another 40-hour detour for me. (laughs) Yeah, I started to build my house, but it's just a a little two-room house now. You just go in and
0: you see it all. So I haven't spent a ton of time there. Justin, where are you? Didn't check my playtime. I've completed (laughs) four corners of the, you know, ground level. Mm -hmm. I've rematched two of the bosses in the depths. I've really gotten obsessed with Illuminating the depths, you know, like that that <laughs> scratching, the itch scratching of I need the map to be complete is yeah. really hard if you're in the depths, just oh, because yeah. of how slowly you you unlock all of that <laughs> and how dark it is and dangerous it is down there. But yeah, you know, it's like I'm 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 still like a ways off from the actual ending of the game, but I've I've done a lot in it. Well, we're going to talk about the depths because I have some thoughts, but when,
1: (laughs) when, (laughs) when we last met, I was but the learner. Now I have the Master Sword, not to brag, but my stamina is maxed out so I can last a long time. My Switch says I've played for more than 80 hours. So I guess I've sunk about as much time into this as you have, Matt, and I... As you can testify, I've grown a, a Tears of the Kingdom beard—just a full beard, basically. <laughs> haven't mm-hmm. had time to shave. Too mm-hmm. much questing to do, so haven't beaten it. But I've all but beaten it. Uh, collected the sages, got the sword, upgraded the puripad. Just have to find and defeat. Ganondorf for the Demon King or whatever we're calling him. We can't call him DK because that's taken by another mm, Nintendo character. Yeah. So I just haven't had time for the final boss yet. And also I'm a little reluctant to take him on because once I finish a single player game story, I often feel a little less motivated to play. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't want that to happen with Tears of the Kingdom. Plus, from what I understand, beating the game works the same way as in Breath of the Wild. You just get a star on your save file and you go back to where you were. I wish you could keep roaming around after beating the big bad, as you can in many other open world games, but I guess that would have meant more work. So anyway, even when I or we beat the game, we won't have come close to finishing the game. I knew it was big going in and I knew it was big after a few days of playing. But I'm not sure I understood the scope and the scale of Tears of the Kingdom the way I do now. This is a single-player game that makes most live-service games that are designed to keep you playing forever seem small. So, Justin, we will get into the the depths, but... Do you feel like this game is the right size or too big or somehow too small? That would be quite a take if you said it was too small, just in terms of content and quests and also sheer surface area. Bro, who is saying this game is too small? I have not (laughs) heard that take. (laughs) (laughs) Who is is answering? (laughs) Show yourself. That would be the hottest. I mean, look, you
0: have some takes. You've had some
1: takes in your life, so I would not be shocked if you had that one.
0: Well, remember on the first episode, I, I was airing on the side of saying... Perhaps the game is too big. And now yeah. I am on, I'm in the camp of no, I think it's just right. I think uh, the real difference between tears and breath of the wild is just tears. I think it takes longer, probably for most people to settle into not just the maps, like the multi tiered maps, right? Sky, ground, depths, but also just how many more mechanics there are in tears. So it takes longer to get acclimated to, but once you get acclimated to it, I, I, I really do feel like the scale is very manageable. Um, yeah. and fun. Matt, is, is this game in the Goldilocks zone for you? I'm pretty content with the
3: size and scale of it, although I do think if I fully grasped it as uh, you know, someone who's had that open-world fatigue, I think I would have been a bit more reluctant to jump in. But now that I'm in it and I have a sense of the full scale... I'm not mad at it simply because I'm not bored yet. And I Mm -hmm. think that's the big, the big difference when you're, when you're talking about open world games and scale. It's just that it's okay to have an incredibly large world. If you fill it with things, if you have a lot to do, if, you know, there are interesting dynamics between all of the different kinds of things that you're trying to do. Whereas a lot of open world games are just, you have side quests, you have main quests. You have three different kinds of dots on the map and 40 hours in, you're ready to be done with it. You know, mm-hmm. it's just a testament to the fact that this game is incredibly well designed and incredibly well made, that something of this scale is not instantly off footing to me. Yeah, I unlocked the surface map as quickly as I could, but unlocking the map is
1: very different from actually feeling like you've seen everything. Mm-hmm. I think I've I've done about half of the shrines. There are apparently 152 this time. Mm. I don't know how I've missed half of them because every time I see one, I make a point of of completing it, and yet I just haven't come across a lot of them. I've obviously found a fraction of the korok seeds. I have dozens of open quests. I'm not a completionist and this game, as you were saying, it just—it doesn't make me feel any pressure to be. I think you can kind of distinguish between types of open world games based on whether there's a completion percentage in the menu that yeah. you can see <laughs> tick up tenth of a percent by tenth of a percent, and Zelda games don't do that. So there are a thousand Korok seeds, but I think. That's less because they want you to feel like you got to catch them all then so that there will just be enough for you to come across them fairly frequently on this huge map. But I'm very aware that there are lots of things in the game that I just haven't done even though I've spent way longer with this game than I do with most I haven't been on a horse once somehow I don't know about you guys whether you're you're big equestrians in Zelda or not but, nah. but there's a there's a whole horse system as there was in Breath of the Wilds have not been on the back of a horse once I've been collecting bubble gems from bubble frogs in the caves feeling bad about killing them every time I do And I don't know what to do They seem very nice. They do, right? They're just there underground, minding their own business. And then you shoot them and you kill them. And then they morph into a a bunny and run away. But they leave behind these bubble gems. And I don't know what to do with them. I'm sure there's someone you talk to and some quest you complete. And I could look it up easily. But I just haven't encountered that. So I, I keep coming across headlines about quest lines or outfits or tactics that I have missed entirely. For instance, there are cherry blossoms that tell you where the caves in an area are. And I'm like, wow, I never knew that. Or it took me an embarrassingly long time to realize that you could throw things instead of attaching them to arrows, or that you could attach Zonai devices to arrows, or that you could use Recall and Ascend to kill the constructs quickly, those sky beasts made of blocks, or take the Mr. Hudson signs that you can help prop up. Right, <laughs> he and find this guy. <laughs> that guy. Ad, he kills that guy, time. Addison. He is perpetually shocked that we have helped him prop up the signs. Without looking it up, I don't know how many of those are or whether I get something special for doing all of them, but whenever I come across one, it's a fun diversion. So it just makes me feel like there's always more to see, which is exciting. And even when I try to stick to a certain quest, I always take a detour or two to a a tower or a shrine or a well or a cave or a chest or a side quest. So I don't know if you can even call it a detour when it's really just part of the design. What about the abilities though? Because I wouldn't say spatial reasoning is my strength. So the beginning of the game was a challenge. And Matt, I think you were in sort of the same boat with your resistance to crafting that you had to overcome. So. Do you feel like your brain has rewired itself as you have played? Have you
3: learned to play the game? Absolutely. And uh, speaking of the horses specifically, the reason I'm not using the horses is because I can't attach a beam emitter to it. I can't (laughs) attach like, let me fuse to my horse or I'm Uh, not going to use my horse. Are you (laughs) one of the people on TikTok who is constructing (laughs) incredible machines that make me feel bad about myself? No, but I am constructing some interesting machines that are uh, inefficient. I would say, okay. but, but <laughs> creative, but yeah, I just want to talk about that horse thing because they keep trying to make you use your horse and they're like, Oh, you got a new saddle. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to, you know, the stables and everything. It's just interesting to me how many elements of, of this game seem almost disposable to me. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and most of the time it's because of the, you know, rewards you get for doing something. Right. So there's no real impetus for me to, deck out all my horses get the tightest best most stamina abled horse Mm -hmm. um there's no motivation for that but at yeah. the same time like every time I see that guy trying to keep his sign up <laughs> I'm gonna help that guy out even yes. though he's gonna give me like 20 bucks in a meal right <laughs> whereas every time I see like a korak who's like I gotta get to my friend I'm like oh I ain't got time for that yeah no <laughs> <way>. <laughs> Although, good luck
1: <laughs> those can be very frustrating at times <laughs> when you have to get the korak who's separated from his friend like up
3: or down and they fall and they roll but yeah you gotta do it those two things take the same amount of time helping the korak find his friend and propping the sign up it's pretty right. pretty much the same in terms of in like time commitment and yet obviously that the Korok seeds is, is a better reward than 20 bucks in a meal but for <laughs> some reason like that's just the way I'm playing this game like mm-hmm. and there's yeah. so many things like that but regarding the crafting yeah I don't have a problem with the crafting at all in this game it's just mm-hmm. gotten more and more fun and I feel like I don't need to craft food as much as in previous games which was a big turnoff for me, crafting the food, mm-hmm. and like I said in the previous podcast, the crafting of the weapons is actually empowering because of the customization you have, it doesn't feel like a chore. You're not just rebuilding something constantly. You're you're building for whatever con- like scenario you're in at the moment. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's it's given me a whole new life on on crafting games, yeah. and I, <laughs> I'm pretty positive that the second I turn on any other game that has crafting. I'm going to give it a shot and (laughs) it's going to feel tiresome again.
0: Yeah, Yeah, Matt, can I connect that point actually that you made about both the horses and the crafting? Because to me, this kind of goes back to one thing we talked about in the first episode about tears, right? Which is like, it, it's one thing for this game to be huge and to have all of these mechanics, these, these gameplay elements, but there's a sort of tension in the fact that it's also all the new stuff is built on top of an old infrastructure that had entirely different abilities in mind. So the horse thing to me is such an example of that, right, where it's sort of the game it's like Breath of the Wild had horses. That's why this game has horses. But then mm-hmm. this game also gives you a, a B2 stealth bomber. And <laughs> the game sure. that gives you a B2 stealth bomber, you're just not going to really have that much of a reason to want to ride a horse. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Mm-hmm. I yeah. think that ends up being the issue.
1: Yeah. And I've got dozens and dozens of save points now. So wherever I want to go, I can travel there pretty quickly. I always feel bad for the designer who you know spent months or years of their life like crafting this system painstakingly and it's like, yeah, I just I never use that. I mean, yeah. hopefully it's it's ported over from Breath of the Wild and it wasn't much extra work. And also ten million people bought this game in the first three days. So even if some percentage don't
3: use something, mm-hmm. some large percentage will, and many people will enjoy it. But it's, it's just not too late for like a this. patch. Yeah. We can we can we can <laughs> patch it so that we can put rockets on horse butts. <laughs> right. I they will get us. on a horse if I can put a rocket on it. That'll open that.
1: up a, a whole new genre of TikTok so we can give the Corax <laughs> a break. But I, I don't use the auto-build ability much. I still find Ultra Hand a bit cumbersome, but I've gotten uh, used to it, at least mentally. And I, I've gotten accustomed to it enough that I now fantasize about using it in real life so you know when you you play a lot of grand theft auto and then you walk around and just wish you could carjack is that just me i don't know but the other day my daughter's stroller was folded up and locked and i couldn't unfold it. And I was like, if I could just use ultra hand on this thing, I could just rotate this wheel. This would be a cinch. And there's a, a building a block away that has this flat metal rectangle just jutting out of the facade. And I always think about ascending when I walk under it and then I'm disappointed that I can't. And Ascend is the best ability. Oh I'm my God. Just it's so gratifying every time I Most underrated ability, right? Like oh, ultra hand. Ultra and Fuse get all the attention. Yeah. They get all the, the sexy videos, but. Yeah, I said. Ascend is why. great, right? I, I just need
3: Ascend play... in my social life. You know? <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it only works on, on cave
1: roofs. But w- when you're in a cave or a well, it's so nice to get back to the surface that way, which is why it's there. It was basically a cheat code that the developers mm. used during testing to save themselves time. And then they thought, why don't we put this in the game? Which I can't imagine how much more complicated that made the design of every level, knowing that people could just yeah. float through the roof.
3: It's but... so great. <laughs> I wish you did like a little piece animation that you just... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that'd be tight.
1: It it, it, it like forces you to think vertically and it very regularly makes me feel dumb, but in a good way, because I'll be wandering around a room not knowing where to go and getting frustrated about being stuck. And then it will suddenly dawn on me for the 50th time that I can just go up and that that's what I was supposed to do all along. So I'm still, again, struggling with the spatial aspects, but yeah. It's sort of wild when you get to...
3: When you get to like an area where they've specifically designed that you're supposed to use ascend in an area to solve yeah. a puzzle, mm-hmm. you feel like, oh my god, like you guys know about that? Like, yeah. I thought this was my secret, like thing. Like, you know, it feels like they're not supposed to know that we do that yeah. somehow. Yeah.
1: So we mostly raved about the game last time. We've mostly raved about it this time. Everyone else has mostly raved about it, and it's justified raves, but let's uh, share some complaints if we have any. Because great as this game is, I, I do have a few. Justin, do you have any nitpicks or rants that you want to get off your chest,
0: or is this just smooth sailing? Um, I think the the points about the scale being good once you grow into it, all of that stands. One thing that grows with the scale of the game in tiers, though, in a way that's really, that bugs me, is just how much inventory you have. Mm-hmm. and how it feels in a fight when you want to attach something to an arrow to have to scroll through 140 yeah. items in your inventory <laughs> yeah. on the fly. And it, at, it's, think about it that, like pauses, right? If this were Elden yeah, Ring, it, it would be like, oh, oh my God, God. <laughs> you get killed while you're trying
1: to find a fire acorn or whatever that. But,
0: but to <laughs> the point about it, pausing, right? Like think about how long we've all lived with video games implementing, I guess what we call like the weapon wheel, right? The thing that either freezes or slows time while in the middle of sort of real time combat, you do some stuff in your menu, you change Aloy's bow, you change, you know, somebody's gun, something like that, right? And it's sort of that already is pretty artificial, but it's kind of, it's a nice compromise, right? In a way, you're sort of selecting between eight things, you slow down time, it's just the video gamey thing. And I think, yeah, there are times where... Again, the fact that you are scrolling through 120 items in your menu just to attach something to a bow, right, and then have to bring that menu back up again, it feels like that's where I start to go, oh, this is kind of really, this is kind of pushing to the limit, I think, that kind of inventory Mm -hmm. management in real-time combat.
1: Yeah, yeah. Feels like I need a keyboard sometimes. There's just there aren't enough buttons on a console controller to handle everything I need to do.
3: Matt, do you have any complaints? Any pet peeves? Oh yeah, I got a <laughs> I got a rant. Oh wow, okay. But first, I want to address the sorting through all the things you're attaching to the arrows. I started using the sort option a lot. Me too. You you tap you tap Y and it goes to your you know the either the highest power or the most right. recent. And if they didn't have that, it would be so unbearably cumbersome. Mm-hmm. That one yeah. feature is so useful.
1: Am I wrong, though, or does it not stay the way that you sort it? You have to keep resorting it, or at least it feels like that That's me.
0: the issue I've had, right, yeah. is, is the instability of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
3: Yeah, it definitely is a little...
0: It, it could definitely be worse, though.
3: <laughs> <laughs> but my big rant is it's basically the weapon wheel, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so if you're playing the game on your D-pad, the right direction is your weapon. Which, depending on which weapon you're currently wielding, if it's a bow, it'll be your bow. If it's your whatever's in your hand, it'll be whatever's in your hand. And then up on the D-pad is your items. And then left on the D-pad is your shield. And then down on the D-pad calls your horse. Oh, yeah. Oh, no, I know where <laughs> yeah. you're going. With we oh, yeah. have we have are putting bows, so we're putting putting bows <laughs> and we're putting swords on the same directional pad, just yeah. in case, while I'm in the heat of battle, I, I need to horse. call my horse over it's and, so and we need to powwow. Yeah. Why are is not this C pad worthy? Yeah. Why is this like this? Put the bows <laughs> on down, and then take the call horse function and throw it on the L1 wheel. I don't need map to be an option in the L1 wheel when yeah. the, but the when the minus button calls the map up. So throw the horse call onto that (laughs) L1 wheel and give me my own directional pad for the bows. Like in the heat of battle, when you're like swinging your sword and you need to get a bow out, but your bow broke, you have to like... Feign like you're pulling your bow out just to be able to then select a new bow. It just gets so messy in battle <laughs> yeah. when you're switching between your bow and your primary weapon. And, it, it, and if your all horse was torrent, that,
0: if it was torrent, though, we could talk, right? Uh huh. Uh huh. <laughs> or if I could have a
3: beam emitter on
0: that horse, we could also talk. <laughs> but
3: there's no beam emitter on my horse, and I'm just whistling in the middle of battle when I could yeah. be pulling a bow out. It's dumb. This is my uh, biggest complaint with yeah. the game. The two primary weapon systems are yes. on the same directional button. Because I don't have stupid. a horse, the, the whistle is just a taunt now, basically.
1: Yeah. It's just a taunt button, like in Super Smash Brothers. But uh-huh. Yeah, I, I feel you. I remapped the jump button just because I always get confused just switching from Switch to another system, but more customizability might be better. I have three things, none of which has stopped me from loving and playing the heck out of this game, but I don't love the sky-to-depths ratio, So Mm -hmm. before the game came out, the marketing emphasis was all on the sky. So maybe this was partly my expectations coming in. The biggest surprise for me has been how huge the depths are. The map is like an iceberg. What you see on the surface is only a fraction of the hole. And I was shocked that the depths were as big as the surface. I thought this was gonna be just a, a self-contained little area. And I thought, like, when I unlocked one little area and lit the light route, I was like, oh, okay, this is like a large part of the map. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then I zoomed out yes, and it very was much just not. That, no, not at all. It I mean, it's like the dark world and a link to the past, but I'd say that. Although there's an emphasis on verticality in this game, the sky and the surface and the depths could be a bit better integrated in that there are long stretches of the game where I've stayed on the surface. If you include caves and wells, I like caves and wells, no problem with those. The thing is, though, that I just I don't really like it down in the depths. And if you guys are, are pro-depths and want to oh, defend pro the depths, depths, please. OK, good, yeah. because I, I comped it to the Dark World in A Link to the Past, but it looks more like the upside down from Stranger Things with those scary floaty stuff everywhere. It's not a pleasant Place It's kind of drab and monotonous design wise. Losing hearts to gloom is annoying. You either have to keep placing light sources or you end up traipsing around in the dark and getting lost. So I unlocked the surface map as quickly as I could. But I haven't even come close to the depths, because I just I don't want to spend that much time there. So I go down there when I have to, but I haven't done a whole lot of roaming around just for fun. So
0: give me the pro-depths position, please. So I think this actually relates back to your ad read at the top of this, um, <laughs> this, this episode for talking about Spider-Verse on mm-hmm. the Ringerverse feed, right? Because it's like my wife and I joke about this all the time. We joked about this in Breath of the Wild about how, oh, yeah, this this game has turned link into spider-man and that's like a weirdly good idea right <laughs> he's just spider-man he sticks to everything he he will rarely fall off of anything unless it's raining right he can <laughs> right. climb any surface and so once you get two or more stamina wheels you really are just spider-man you can just crawl all over hyrule right mm-hmm. but part of what that means i think in certainly playing a sequel that's you know largely modeled like physically off of Breath of the Wild is you get really good at all of that kind of climbing stuff. And then that kind of risks trivializing exploration, right? Like I definitely felt like in the first 10 hours of tears, I I had down pat how to get around, how to overcome the environment just based on the muscle memory of Breath of the Wild, where it took a while to sort of like, build my sense of, like, what are the optimal ways to get over certain kinds of peaks or certain heights in Zelda, right? And I think that, like, the depths are interesting because they just don't work the same way. Like get, yeah. getting around, getting from one yeah, checkpoint to, to the climb next. Climb up on anything
1: and, right, and just exactly.
0: glide to where you want to go. And even and even the parts that are high walls, you know, like high slopes that you could crawl, sometimes they're just way too high. Sometimes mm-hmm. even if you do go into it with a lot of stamina, you're going to find that like you just have to, that's where stuff like Ascend is actually really helpful, right? I I, I think to me of three sections, The Depths just has the highest challenge in terms of sort of acknowledging that you probably have a lot of experience with all of that Spider-Man stuff in Breath (laughs) of the Wild and saying, okay, we're going to remix this a bit and make you have to sort of think of different ways to get around and overcome this environment. Just because, again, it's like... The slopes are very different. The fact that you have to avoid gloom is different. The fact that you have to illuminate, you have to, you kind of have to ration out like what parts are worth illuminating and that. Like, I I don't know. It's it's a nice remix, I think, of the exploration. It's definitely... Different. I mean, it's, it certainly sets itself apart.
1: It's not just sort of a a reskinned surface. So it's a different gameplay style. It's a different look. Although a lot of the things that I like about traversing the surface are just really hard to do, as you said, in the depths. And I just don't enjoy it as much. So it makes me appreciate being on the surface, like out in the open air where there's nice grass and sun and views. And I guess it's good thematically that I feel relieved when I return to the surface. But I don't know. I just I don't want to spend as much time there if it were sort of just you go down every now and then, which is all you have to do. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's it's been fine there. It's just that I haven't really wanted to go beyond the minimum or much beyond the minimum. Maybe it's a me problem. Maybe there are people who are like, get rid of the surface. I love the depths. Just give me more depths. Mm -hmm. But I'm surprised that it's as big as it is. And I don't know that it's necessary for it to be as big as it is. But again, it's not really a detriment because you can just kind of leave it alone if you want to.
3: I think for me, the only the only like I appreciate that they are taking away your your feel division under there. Like the, like when you're on the top side, you can see everything for, for miles or as far as the eye can see. And that's Mm -hmm. gratifying and everything. I do appreciate that they take that away from you down there and it becomes disorienting and it becomes a different dynamic. I think my only issue with the depths is simply that the environments down there don't fluctuate that much in terms of feel and design. And that, that I think is really the big criticism that I have. Right. You can walk around forever down there and it, you know, someone could see, oh, you're in the depths. If they're looking at your screen, they don't know where yeah. in the depths you are. Right, right. Like mm-hmm. on the above world, you have you could be there's like beach areas, there's mountain areas that are snowy, there's fire areas, there's desert. Right, there's all this yeah. variation that really makes exploration rewarding and and feel like you're you're actually progressing through the world. When you're yeah. down in the depths, it's a bit too one note. Like you can have a depths down there that feels like the depths that has gloom that is more themed in certain areas, I guess. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that would really go a long way towards feeling that this, just this endless expanse of this one kind of area. Yeah. And so the, the, the rewarding nature of exploration isn't as pronounced down there because you don't feel like you're getting into a new area as much as exploration Gives you that sense above ground.
1: Right. It's basically the same size as the surface with a tiny fraction of the variety. So that's my main quibble with it. My second mini complaint is story related, not the story itself, but the way that it's told. You learn a lot of it via optional cutscenes you unlock by exploring the geoglyphs that are spread around the map, which is fine. I like finding those. The weird thing is that the cutscenes are tied to certain geoglyphs instead of being unlocked in chronological order, so you end up seeing the story all out of sequence and having to figure out what happened when, which is weird. The other issue is that each time you clear a temple and find a sage you have to watch an almost identical cutscene about the Imprisoning War Mm -hmm. and the unsuccessful battle against Ganondorf. So instead of being excited to see what comes next after I beat a boss or to learn something new about the lore, I'm like, here we go again. We're just going to see that same confrontation. So it's strangely repetitive, I would say, as each sage finds out about the past sage and learns about their legacy and their mission. So I don't know why it's organized exactly that way. You know, Breath of the Wild was sort of similar, where you'd have these snapshots and you could trigger these cutscenes if you wanted to and you didn't really have to. And I guess that goes along with just the loosely structured open world nature of the game. You don't know where anyone's going to go and what they're going to want to do. So you can't make everything mandatory and linear but i'm not sure why you unlock the cutscenes in a just uncertain sequence based on when
3: you find the geoglyphs did you guys notice this did this bother you at all it, it bothered me because i found all the geoglyphs in a particularly random order yeah like it wasn't it wasn't even close to chronological <laughs> right and in fact i think you'd be hard pressed to have unlocked them in a, a less ideal Order within <laughs> <laughs> I'm like sitting there, like you can obviously you can rewatch the cutscenes once mm-hmm. you unlock them, but I was sitting there like, oh man, I just this happened, but but that happened, and I was like, right. and then this, <laughs> time, you know, yeah. Like, I don't know what, what the upside I've never is. Tried, I've never really? struggled to piece together a Zelda story before, no. and that's not necessarily a bad thing this time around. Like, good for you, you have a story that. Someone could potentially get confused about that. Feels yeah. like a first for, for the <laughs> Zelda franchise, right? Yeah, but I also feel like you know they're also kind of lengthy cutscenes, right? Mm-hmm. That you're just kind of sitting and watching. And I kind of, I kind of had a thought at one point. I, I've noticed a lot of games recently when they have a lot of story to tell, rather than dropping a cutscene. Uh, if something has taken place in the past, you'll see a lot of games now doing the thing where like you see like a projection of something that happened in a place and you're walking around while the previous projections of events are sort of right, in the yeah. environment that you're in. Mm-hmm. And at times I wondered if maybe that would have been a better choice for some of these things uh, just to have you more invested in what was going on at the time to be we able to like walk around an environment while it was happening i just felt like i've never sat and watched cutscenes more in a zelda game and especially for a game that is not lighting the world on fire with its story it feels a bit much mm-hmm. to just sit there and watch these cutscenes. yeah i wouldn't mind watching them if they weren't all the same,
1: (laughs) or at least the ones that you unlock after you beat a temple are sort of the same. So I guess the last thing that I'd mention, and this is really minor because uh, it's something that you can change if you want, but by the end of the game, by where I am Link is really rolling deep. Like he has a whole posse of five (laughs) five sages following him around. Mm -hmm. And and I'm a big fan of NPC companions, maybe Mm. because I was an only child and also I get creeped out by spooky games. So like having an NPC companion playing with me when I was by myself, maybe this sounds sad. I did have friends, but I didn't always get to play video games with friends. And so I like having AI company there, but five at once is a little much. Uh, Granted, you can toggle them on or off, but I'm torn because on the one hand, I want the help. And on the other hand... You need the the distractions. Yeah, the screen gets kind of cluttered. Like whenever I have a fight now, there are as many AI force ghosts running around as there are enemies. And sometimes I find myself just sitting back and and letting my allies fight for me. Or (laughs) I want to use a support power, but I don't see the sage I want or I confuse the Gerudo one for the Rito one and activate the wind power when I want the lightning power. So at first I thought it would only let you use one at a time, and then you would just choose your favorite or the one that made the most sense for that situation. But no, you can use all five. So maybe I just need to learn to limit myself. Again, the game doesn't force this on you, but it does give you some incentive to do it. And
0: yet when I do it, I feel like it backfires. Can we, in this, because sec- that's a lot to unpack. Can this be the section where we talk about just the merits of your, your NPC companions? Yes, please. Like in combat too, because I have, this is where I really have some thoughts. You got to dismiss Electric Home Girl. I forget her name. You got to dismiss her. <laughs> like that ability does not work. I'm sorry. Like the way it sort of is advertised to you when you first... Are in the like the grito part of the game, and then sort of later in the game where it just feels like it it just gets nerfed hard, mm. and like you could catch ten enemies in the the lightning, but it does like one uh, HP right on <laughs> it every looks one of them. But it actually is yeah. yeah. <laughs> so just dismiss her, just get rid of her, <laughs> and then like t- you're right. It's sort of the problem to me is less about like. The problem is when you end up tripping over the abilities. When you think you're activating your Nobu, but oh, yes. actually you accidentally activated Sidons, and mm-hmm. it's just like that. That gets aggravating quickly. But you're right. It's like I don't know what the, I. I do like I do like those those fights where you feel like you're rolling deep. You know yeah. what I mean? I like yeah. it when it feels like you're stomping someone out with <laughs> <Right. laughs> like a bunch of people on screen. It's actually really nice with a nice. little bird. At, <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. Just like <laughs> and Tullin, You want to get rid of Tullin because wind is that helpful, but then he crits so much. He hits so many crits on uh-huh. people plus in battle. for
3: get for like traversal purposes to have that. Like, yes, gust right. yeah, get does that, does that still happen if he's dismissed? I don't. If he's dismissed, so, right? Can you not. use his gust while you're on your? Power no, you can't.
0: That's the thing. You need to like bring him it, when you're trying to like explore. Right. And you're not in a fight necessarily, or especially if you're up in the sky, definitely have Tullin. But it just feels like once you're, I don't know, if you're running around like Hyrule Castle, you got to get rid of him because it's just so (laughs) aggravating. (laughs) Yeah.
1: So I I want to devote most of the rest of our time to some big picture conversations about The Legend of Zelda, just what we want out of the franchise in the future, where this game ranks among Zelda games. Do you guys have any last thoughts, just specific individual thoughts on Tears of the Kingdom itself, anything that you've seen in the community that you want to call out? Because that's been one of the best parts of this for me, which I guess is sort of similar to Elden Ring. You know, there's no community messaging in-game system in Tears of the Kingdom the way that there was <laughs> in Elden Ring. So you don't have people try to trick you into falling down a pit or anything, but It feels like just everyone is in conversation about this game, like video game developers are just extolling the virtues of it and are just so amazed and impressed by everything Nintendo pulled off here. The tricksters, the speedrunners, are just pulling off incredible feats and showing them to all of us, giving us ideas, things that never would have occurred to me. So what about this experience have you enjoyed
3: that we haven't touched on? Well, I've definitely enjoyed the communal feeling of Zelda. Zelda Mm -hmm. comes out and it feels like a cultural moment. Yes. um, In the way that only a few games recently have Elden Ring, Animal Crossing, hitting during pandemic. Like there have been these games that have just been such unifiers where everyone, it feels like everyone is playing it and playing it in different ways. And, you know, people who are casual gamers are playing it, hardcore gamers are playing it. It just feels like a, a real celebration that is really fun to be part of. And I think that's why at the end of the year, I think this is still going to be the front runner for Game of the Year, even though it's, it is yeah. it is a thick year of Game <laughs> yes. of the Year contenders. It is, I fun. know, just, just
1: like it, the,
3: this past
1: month and the next month, probably yeah. as strong a field as we had all
3: of last year, potentially, when it came to our Game of the Year conversation at the end of the year. Yeah, but that that sense of a moment and community, I think, is what's going to give this the the edge at the at the end of the year. But we'll see. Yeah.
1: Plus, we might we'll not have beaten it by then. <laughs> we might still be playing. Just I that I'll be roaming
3: around the, the depths, planting bright <laughs> blossom seeds or whatever. <laughs> I know charity's trying to beat this before FF16 too. Oh yeah, yeah. Right. Well, it's I mean,
0: Final Fantasy 16, Street Fighter sure. Fighters. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah, I, I'll say on that note too. It's sort of the point about you know, the future of Zelda, future of open world games, right? Like, there's something about, I I feel like for a decade, right, single player games had this problem of graphics getting better, scale getting bigger, and apart from open world space, right, you had the, you kind of had the problem of, I guess, like the Final Fantasy, you know, uh, 12 through 13, right, of people being like single player games are becoming cutscene simulators, they're becoming you know, hallway simulators where you kind of just walk in a direction and sort of you're you're being sort of steered through a narrative more than you're playing a game. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think open the appeal of open world games for a long time was creating a more open ended structure, giving players more room to breathe. But then I think open world games, I, you know, open world games of the past several years, I think succumb to their own tropes in in design. And I think I don't know. There's something about both Breath of the Wild and especially Tears of the Kingdom with all of the building stuff that sort of feels like it's getting back in touch with just the why open world games are a great idea in the first place, right? Which is like on the one hand, yeah, it's single player. You are trying to tell a story, but also you are trying to give a player a way like you're trying to like create something that's expressive, right? And I think Tears of the Kingdom is nothing if not expressive. You really, you know, to, to Matt's point earlier about Ascend, right? How you feel sometimes like you're using this ability and you're like, do the devs know about this? <laughs> <You> know? It's <laughs> like you want it, to, it's the fact that you can walk around this world and like you could call it a sandbox. That's a bit reductive because there's so much um, intentionality in a lot of the design. And yet you really do feel like you more than you are putting through the paces of a story, more than you're trying to run to the four corners to get the thing, to unlock the thing, to rebuild the thing, to get Zelda, more than you feel like you're doing any of that. Right. You feel like you are just conquering a landscape. And that, that is just such a, I, frankly, more than you do really in any other open world game. I think short of Elden Ring. Right. And that feeling of conquering a landscape, right. That feeling of just player expression, I think is really special. And it's like the thing you always hope, right? That people, that other developers, other studios take away from the success of both Breath of the Wild and Tears, right? Is that sense of trusting the player, right? Yes. Um, <laughs> although, yeah, I feel, yeah. Uh, yeah.
1: It's always easier said than done. It's like, it just, uh, you know, do what those games did, those all-time yeah, you, like, <laughs> you know, all time classics. Like, all you have to do is have uh, four decades of experience and continuity and then devote six years to making the game. It's like, easy, right? Just, you know, have that uh, Breath of the Wild, Tears of the Kingdom quality. Just snap your fingers and it's done. <laughs> so we have to have this conversation about where Tears ranks among Zelda games. And Charity, you got on board with the series with. Breath of the Wild, so I won't ask you to compare Tears to earlier games, Thank but you. <laughs> you recently wrote about the significance of Zelda to Nintendo and to the larger gaming landscape, so maybe we can start there. I know it's apples and oranges to compare The Legend of Zelda to a platformer or a full-on RPG yeah. or a fighting game or a shooter, but I still sort of feel like Breath of the Wild and Tears of the Kingdom have solidified The Legend of Zelda's status as the GOAT game franchise. I mean, just in terms of the longevity and the legacy and the innovation and the quality. And I guess these latest Zelda games, they just kind of give me almost everything I want from a game in one package. You know, Mm -hmm. like that sense of exploration, the cerebral challenge of the puzzles, but also just that dynamic feeling of playing a game and controlling a character and getting to navigate around that world, right, that you might not get from a a pure puzzle game. So there's a little bit of everything in a a game this big. So where do you think Zelda stands, I guess, in the pantheon of game franchises, but
0: then also in the Nintendo catalog? I think I specifically was, you know, drawing that comparison between sort of the the half-life of Mario on the Switch versus Zelda on the Switch, right? And I don't know. In the, in the greater pantheon, though, of of like long running, long running video game series, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's a, like you don't need me to tell you that that Zelda's up there. I don't know that it's <laughs> right, necessarily. You're, you're positing it as the goat. You're positing <laughs> it as the number one am, video yeah. game series. It's, right? it's
1: clearly in the conversation, so they, so to speak. But yeah, it's, but.
0: it's hard to think of something that's run for as long and as authoritatively and had so many different iterations of itself while... A lot of those iterations, all being sort of like generation defining and successful in the same way. Yeah. <laughs> you know what the thought lingering in the back of my mind is? It's like Resident Evil. <laughs> Resident <laughs> Evil is very much. Resident Evil has some like rough, <laughs> rough uh-huh. stretches of its history. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm certainly not comparing Resident Evil to Zelda, despite my 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 love for Resident Evil. I don't know. Yeah, it's like it, it kind of speaks for itself as, yeah. a, as a series. Right? Yeah, I mean,
3: they, they really haven't whiffed on a game in the right. series since exactly. the literal second game in the series mm-hmm. yeah. back on NES. Wait,
0: do people consider Skyward Sword a whiff? Like, what if, I don't whoa. think so. I mean, and, okay.
3: Yeah, wh- when it came
1: out, it got rave reviews and then i think in retrospect everyone was like maybe we got a little ahead of ourselves on that one but mm, but it's like the old even if it's, infinite <laughs> <right>? <laughs>
0: but
1: but even if it's like a you know standard sort of formulaic zelda
3: game it's still really good yeah i just played through that recently and yeah it's still definitely a very good game right. it's just i think we have such high hopes for every zelda game because the bar of quality so high consistently, they just won't let a bad Zelda game happen, even though they know that it is, you know, aside from Mario, it's probably like their most treasured IP. And, you know, maybe Mm -hmm. you're making the argument after this that it is. They're not going to let a bad Zelda drop. It's just not going to happen anymore. I think, though, that I do have a bit of a concern with like the future of the Zelda franchise. Yes, I, I want to talk about that. Before we move to that, can you give me... because yeah, you give you, you like have a where it fits in yeah, that. <laughs> where, where would it fit, just retrospectively? I mean, for me, I think we're talking top five all time. I, like, mm-hmm. when I think of the best Zelda games, I'm thinking about the first one, I'm thinking about A Link to the Past, Wind Waker, Ocarina of Time. It is, for me, hands down better than Breath of the Wild. Like, it's not even a debate for me. It's it's which is surprising because you okay. know majora's mask doesn't hold that weight with me as as much as ocarina of time but i, I really found that that this was one of the most memorable zelda experiences and I, and you know it's not cuz of the story it's it's because of this freedom this in, this innovation in game design mm-hmm. like outside of talking about this game as a zelda game like i think it's an achievement in game design on a broad sense like in mm. a broad sense right yeah my top five coming into tears was
1: probably pretty predictable in some order owing to the past ocarina wind waker breath of the wild and i think oracle of ages slash seasons would have snuck
3: into my top Those five are maybe really really good one so good yeah i, I, I really like the Link's awakening remake on that was on good too. as well yeah <laughs> Oracle of Ages slash Seasons,
1: that was the first Zelda game or games that of Fujibayashi, the director of, of Tears and Breath of the Wild, worked on. I guess Tears would probably displace those from my five, and maybe it's cheating to put them both in anyway because it's two games, but... The thing is, if you're asking me to pick a desert island disc from this Mm, franchise or mm -hmm. telling me I can only play one Zelda game for the rest of my life, it'd be Tears of the Kingdom because Mm. I could wander around in the depths until a boat comes by and rescues me from the island. Right. But I just get the most mileage out of it when you take the quality and quantity into account, I think you could make the case for Tears at number one. But of course, Tears is building on many, many Zelda games and decades of previous Zelda development. So if you're asking me which game I have the warmest memories of, I think it's tough to top some of the ones I played and loved as a kid. And if you take innovation into account, can you displace the original or Ocarina, the first 3D one, or even the first open world one. Because if you you think this is better than Breath of the Wild, it's still obviously building on the framework of Breath of the Wild. And though it has its own innovations, I think Breath of the Wild was probably more innovative just in the context of the series. So I guess it depends how you define it. But I think however you define it, it's
0: got to be top five and potentially higher than that. And uh, I will I will register just one. I will say that I... I Marginally prefer Breath of the Wild to Tears. Mm. I like them both a lot, but I think Breath of the Wild. I think it's just the even though it's you're right, it doesn't have stuff like the build mechanic. But I think that the I don't know. I just felt like the just not as novel as being there the first time. Or, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Well, it's not even that. I just thought like kind of the the boss temples and you know were tighter in Breath of the Wild. Mm. I kind of like the mix of abilities better. I miss Rivali's Gale still. You know, <laughs> like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. So I'll be the one. I'll be the odd man out. That's a fair
3: assessment. Yeah. I do think that the boss fights and, and temples aren't as strong in Tears of the Kingdom. But for me, as someone who is more into the exploration yeah, of, of, sure. of, of the franchise, I could. so it's very understandable to me that people have split opinions
0: on which mm-hmm. of the two are is better. Oh, yeah. the Zora in this one is good. I, I really liked all of that. Like the Zora section of Tears of the Kingdom was really nice, I thought. Yeah. So speaking of innovations, let's wrap up by discussing what
1: we want for the future of this franchise, as you just brought up, Matt. In an interview with Game Informer, the head honcho of the franchise, Eiji Aonuma, talked about how some Zelda games create templates for subsequent Zelda games made in the same style, like A Link to the Past did or Ocarina of Time did. And he said that Breath of the Wild has also created a format for the franchise to follow. So it sounds like open world is in for the foreseeable future. He also made the point that Zelda games were sort of striving for this freedom from the start, which suggests that this isn't so much a philosophical shift as it is the tech catching up to the original vision. But, Matt, since you were just about to bring this up, were you happy to hear that, that we're going to get more games in this mold, or are you already craving variety? I'm unhappy
3: to hear that. (laughs) (laughs) And and it's a, it's a very complicated thing for me because this is one of my favorite Zelda games ever. But it also is out of those top Zelda games ever, it's also the Zelda game that feels the least like Zelda to me out of all of those.
2: <laughs>
3: the reason I'm enjoying this game so much is not because it's such a Zelda game. It's because it's a well-designed and oiled machine of a video game. I'm enjoying it on a level as an incredible video game, not As much as an incredible Zelda experience. And I think that this is just a problem that you're naturally going to run into as you have a gaming franchise that is decades into the flow, right? Like you're, it's going to take different directions. It's going to go in different places. And yet you still hopefully have ways to kind of appease the people who've been there for the ride along the whole time. And I think that, I think that like what I, you know, I think I'm fine with them going off on this open world tangent and keeping the evolution going. I think I'm fine with that. I'm a little concerned that that's going to make the development time just, just like how many more yeah. do I have left before I right. die in my life? Like two, <laughs> right. like two more Zeldas maybe, if we're lucky. Uh, like, I, 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 I could just see it like spiraling out of control if this is the template. It's so gonna be I'm Persona. Kinda, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it was gonna be worse. Yeah. It's gonna be I, worse. I, these, <laughs> what I really would like them to do is 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 follow kind of like so in the past two years I've played Metroid Dread and I played Metroid Prime Remastered. And that's an example of they have a franchise in Metroid that has its roots in 2D yes. exploration. And it also has, you know, it, it's 3D, uh, you know, games as well. And I think what I would like them to do is to sort of take Zelda. And now that we know that the development cycle for the 3D Zeldas is, is going to be just endless, like give us a new 2D style Zelda, a mm-hmm. brand new story in the style of, you know, traditional 2D Zeldas and drop that like... In between mm-hmm. the 3D Zeldas, like because mm-hmm. the Link's Awakening Switch experience was so wonderful for me, like it gave me all of the, the nostalgia I'm not getting out of Tears of the Kingdom, I I got out of Link's Awakening. And granted, it's, it's a form that doesn't have too far to evolve, but they're still great games. And I think you can afe- appease like the new and old fans that way, yeah. I wanted to tee up our our producer, Devin Ronaldo, for a second here because.
1: As acclaimed and lucrative as these two games have been, there is a contingent of Zelda fans that wants the series to return to that more linear progression or curated design. You know, abilities you unlock gradually, sequentially, dungeons designed around specific tools or weapons, areas you access in a prescribed sequence. And Devin, you were saying you're kind of in that camp to some extent.
2: I am. I think that, and I'm going to tread lightly because I do feel that, that Zelda fans and nin- Nintendo lovers are uh, very passionate about this franchise, and and I completely respect and love that. I think that my opinion on Tears of the Kingdom in terms of watching this gameplay and playing the game myself is that if you are not very seasoned or versed in the Zelda world that that the gameplay here is very alienating and that's not the end of the world per se but i don't think it leads to a very fun gaming experience overall i think that the amount of of mystery in this game and that similar to what you guys were were saying earlier like the fact that everyone is playing this game in a very different way is super awesome What I don't love is having to find walkthroughs every two minutes because things are just so challenging and things are so convoluted in this open world that it takes you, you know, twenty minutes to find a shrine, or you're going back to a map that you're supposed to be able to check everything off of and and you're kind of the the leader here in terms of what that looks like. I think it gets confusing very quickly. I had a friend say (laughs) it feels like I need a a background or a degree in engineering to play this game. And I think when you've gone that far, something, something isn't quite adding up. I do think that in terms of Zelda games, I would say, and, and I think this is just a result of like the Switch is the dominant gaming console right now. The gameplay that you obviously get on Breath of the Wild and Tears of the Kingdom are probably vastly different than what you're gonna get on Wii or GameCube or NES, but I don't think that it it is a very beginner friendly game. I would argue that Tears of the Kingdom more than Breath of the Wild is very un-beginner friendly. And I think the thing that Matt was saying, you know, when you when you talking about the community of this game, and you're seeing so many people rally around it, the last thing you want to do is be the person that's not playing the game. And then you try to play the game, and it's just too difficult to really like grasp. So I'm mm-hmm. kind of in favor of at least some, some structure, even if that's like having a map that's already set out so you can kind of see what you need to do or, or where those hot areas are going to be for you to get tools or whatnot. That's kind of where I would like to see the game go back to. I don't know if we will because it is... I, I do think open world is is just where this game is going. And like the freedom of that is amazing. But I do think that there is a lack of structure that leads to a real lack of enthusiasm for me as somebody that does not have a lot of patience. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah I, I think there's a, a certain skill set or, or experience like Aonuma. He designed marionettes, right? And, and Fujibayashi, he designed theme parks. And I think their brains kind of work that way. And that's why those systems are implemented so well. But if your brain doesn't work that way, and I wouldn't say mine naturally works that way, then there's an adjustment and you are just kind of set loose in this very big world. I would say it's less intimidating and there's less of a learning curve than, say, Elden Ring or something where like you might just, you know, get slaughtered while you're wandering around here. You can kind of
3: just uh, wander around and you'll find something to do. But But it's probably not far enough away from
0: that. Hmm. You know, it's really closer to being Elden Ring than it probably should. I would make a point to, to, you know, like they're both similarly scaled games, right? They're both games where people have this reaction in the first few hours of you. Wow. You could do anything. You could go, go anywhere. You can wander around for 20 hours before you even get to the first beat of the main story. It's so great. But I think I think something that works really well in Elden Ring is actually like in terms of what Devin's talking about, about being beginner friendly Right. And people do describe Elden Ring as like baby's first from soft game, right? If you're going to start with, you know, the from software mm-hmm. games, Elden Ring is a good place to start. And I think paradoxically, the fact that Elden Ring is a game that is willing to bully you actually ends up providing a lot of like subtle direction in terms of like, eh, y- you know, stay away from this or do that. Like it's a kind of negative reinforcement that ends up kind of asserting the, I think, the internal order that actually exists in exploration in Elden Ring. And Mm -hmm. I think the issue sometimes with Tears maybe is that Tears has such a light touch. Tears is not the kind of game that's willing to bully you. That that is where I think what, what Devin's talking about comes from, right, is that sense of oh, you really can't do anything and the game really doesn't have the same kind of feedback mechanisms that a game like Elden Ring has, where mm-hmm. Elden Ring will tell you you're doing the wrong thing. or it, it, You know what I mean? It's just the feedback's very different.
2: Yeah, which I think is so essential. I was thinking back to that, that first section before you even drop down when you're just kind of in the, the sky world. And this is before I even kind of got the Master Sword or anything that would actually help me. And I... Approached one of the, thinking it was a shrine, trying to get to the third shrine that you need to to clear to get to the temple where Zelda is, thinking that that was a shrine, went down and it completely was a uh, what do they call the? It's essentially like your first boss, like
0: oh the construct, yeah the construct, yeah, yeah the construct
2: yeah. completely wasn't ready for it. And just was sitting there like, okay, well, I know that I can grab it and I can deconstruct it, but how do I beat this? And so I'm sitting there for hours just trying to figure that out, but there's nothing telling me, hey, you need something over a level five weapon to kill, to defeat Mm -hmm. this thing. And if you don't have that, then you're screwed and you, you can't pass, but could you, could you go find something else to do? Sure. But I I do think that there is a necessity for some sort of guidance within it, especially because that area is supposed to be like the tutorial area to get you to where you need to be to actually go down and play the game. I think when you're, when, when you're given no direction, essentially like I think that's going to be the thing that they're going to have to find the balance of because obviously they want everybody to play this game. Everybody, (laughs) it seems like, or I shouldn't say everybody, but the gaming community is very passionate about Zelda. You don't want that FOMO, but if you're not used to playing this or you haven't really played games like this, or you're just tapping into Zelda, it, I think that learning curve is a bit steeper than I it don't think there's be. a
3: Zelda that's a worse entry point than, than this one. <laughs> there is there's
1: a, <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> a literacy with the language of gaming that it definitely helps to have, which was true to some extent with any Zelda game. I mean, always the institutional knowledge of having played a lot of Zelda games would help you realize, okay, I need to use the hookshot here. I've done a puzzle like this. I've done a dungeon like this before. But often there was only one way through, right? And so eventually mm-hmm. you would yeah. figure out right. that's how to do it. Whereas in this game, you know, there are times and tears where you don't so much solve a puzzle as you bypass the puzzle. You know, you're like, I'm not going to play your game, Nintendo. I'm just going to make my own passageway. Yeah. And that can be satisfying, too. But I did sometimes miss that feeling of finding the single solution that the designers had in mind. And I'm with Matt. I was thinking the same thing. It, it could feel a little confining if the flagship blockbuster Zelda game went back to being like Skyward Sword or Twilight Princess. But I do kind of wish there were a place for occasional new Zelda games in the old mold, something you could beat in 15 hours instead of 50, and that would take two years to make instead of six, right? (laughs) The the thing is, though, for a long time, you had separate home and handheld Nintendo systems with different Mm. technological capabilities. So console and handheld Zelda games would be different beasts by necessity, both great in their own ways. Whereas with the Switch, there's no real separation, And you have to figure that will also be true of the Switch's successor, given how many Switches Nintendo has sold. So Hmm. Nintendo may not see a reason to make some scaled-down Zelda game, aside from remakes and remasters, when they're selling a gazillion copies of this and when there's no handheld console or or mobile platform that forces them to do that. But as you said, Metroid Dread, right? (laughs) And I guess that could be just a product of the fact that Metroid's fully scaled-up 3D-type games, uh, there hasn't been one in quite a while, at least a new one. So that may just be, hey, we need to do something here. So I'm with you, though. It'd be nice to have, like, you know, one for us and one for them, except they would both be for me. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. So I, I do think, though, if you stick with open world Zelda, I wonder how you can keep it feeling fresh. I have complete confidence in Nintendo to answer that question somehow. But, you know, I'm sure it's something they're thinking about. Is the next Zelda also in the same Hyrule, except it's finally 4K? Or do you come up with a way to totally reinvent the map? Can you take Ultra Hand away now that we're used to it? Or will we miss it too much? Will it be like the Phantom Limb of future Zelda games if you don't have it? Is there something just as mind-blowing that they could do with new hardware? Or is there a new narrative approach you could try? Even if gameplay keeps coming first, I'm not saying I want Link to talk, because some things are sacred. And frankly, game characters might be too talkative these days, as it is. You don't want Chris Pratt no, to jump no, in? as so, <laughs> no, so, wow, oh I
2: mean, no. Link. As the last thing I is for Link to turn into baker, going to a like or, or, be here.
1: Yeah. Or like. <laughs> Atreus or Aloy, and start thinking out loud about how to solve puzzles. Don't want that in my Zelda. Please don't
0: put that in. I would not be. I
1: I (laughs) wouldn't be averse to a Zelda game where the story or RPG elements were more substantial. Just because that would be a break from the past, it would be something new for Nintendo. So, last question: You just kind of brought it up. Do you want a Zelda adaptation movie or TV? You know, we're going to get more Mario movies after the first one made a fortune. I wrote recently about whether that means we're also going to get some sort of Nintendo cinematic universe. If we do, Zelda would be the obvious next step. So what do you think, Justin? Do you want a Zelda movie or some sort of Zelda
0: scripted on-screen project? No, because I think, okay, if you take the, the Super Mario Brothers movie as an example, like one complaint definitely a lot of people had. I like that movie, but for sure, I get the complaints about the story and it feeling really kind of thin, right? Mm-hmm thin and also just exceedingly tropey, even for a cartoon movie. Mm -hmm. But with Mario, I think people are like, Mario can get away with that as source material in a way that I think to your point about even in the games, right, about do we want Link to talk? Right? Do Mm -hmm. we want like how much, what is it going to be like if one of these games actually decides to lean into being like story driven, lore driven, you know, more than the kind of ambient quality that at least Breath of the Wild and Tears of the Kingdom have. And I think if you go with a movie, like a movie adaptation of Zelda is basically going to call that bluff hard. Of (laughs) like, oh, do you think you can write an actual sort of compelling, you know, standalone story of... Zelda and Link and get, and I I don't know. I don't know if I have the confidence. Zelda has the trappings
1: of a fantasy story yeah, and that leads to some expectations about right. the depth of right. the lore, right? And the Which is so different the magic Mario, system, right. right? Yeah, and and Zelda is sort of the same framework narratively speaking as Mario. It's just a, a mute hero who rescues a princess over and over and over again from the same bad guy basically. Yeah. But you sort of if you were to watch a Zelda movie you would I think, expected to have expectations. Right. Yeah. yeah. So I, I think the Mario movie was fine for what it was. And you're not working with just the richest source material in terms of pure story. And I think, I mean, I did a whole podcast about that movie. I think it did well in kind of conveying the the joy of Mario gameplay to the screen as well mm-hmm. as you could without an interactive experience. But it did just sort of provide a Mario game story, which is not as great in movie form If you were to make more Nintendo movies or or a Zelda movie... I would love for it to be, you know, speaking of Spider-Verse, more of a a Lord and Miller take on Nintendo IP, right? Which is a little different from Nintendo-style storytelling. And I don't think Nintendo is interested in (laughs) that. They don't want that, right? You know, they don't want to take any risk given how the first Mario movie went and how this latest Mario movie went. I think they're going to be like, yep, that's the way to do it. We will stick with the template that works in our games and we won't try to lampoon that or subvert expectations or anything. And so, hey, if it's a fun hour and a half and fun for kids, that's fine. But it's not something I'm actively anticipating. Again, because look, a new Zelda game comes out, that's the next 100 hours for me. If a Zelda movie comes out, that's the next 90 minutes for me, maybe. So even if it's good the return on investment the the hype is not going to be nearly the same and and Nintendo's focus remains very much and very firmly on the games and i'm sure that it will be no matter how many more billions they make from mario movies which is i believe for the best
2: can i throw a quick question out there i know sure. i know we're wrapping up but my question is based off of everything that has been said and in terms of your own rankings and given the conversation we just had about kind of the the future of zelda would you say that Tears of the Kingdom is representative of the franchise? No, I guess <laughs> d- not
1: in terms of maybe mechanics and structure. I think maybe in terms of just the the ethos of it, like the philosophy of it, just the the exploration and the wonder and the emphasis on gameplay. I think it is. But if I were going to illustrate to someone, this is Zelda. This is what Zelda has historically been. I probably
3: wouldn't pick Tears of the Kingdom, although it's one of my favorite Zelda games ever. One of my favorite games ever. I think in 15 years, we might be able to say yes. But I think today, I think today the answer is no. Yeah. But it, it seems like that this is where it's going, but it, it definitely feels like a departure for me. And the only reason I'm not
0: upset about it is because the games are good. Is the answer to the question Ocarina? Then, but, like to the person who's looking for probably the right. That or
2: Link's Awakening. I would, yeah. I would mm-hmm. argue, are like the most, in my yeah. eyes, the most quintessential, quintessential Zelda. and accessible versions of the game to yeah. play. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But
1: I'm glad that the definition is changing because again, Zelda's <laughs> been with us for decades and decades. So if the definition didn't change, we might get tired of it eventually. We have not gotten tired of Tears of the Kingdom, and our journeys with this game will continue, as will our hopefully lifelong Zelda gaming journeys. But our Ringerverse Tears of the Kingdom quest is complete. Thank you, Justin and Matt, for being my non-AI companions for these podcasts. This was a lot of fun. Yeah, <laughs> thanks so much for having me. <laughs> Justin, you keep activating the wind power when I want you to, to like <laughs> no. put a protective water aura around me. Anyway. Thanks to Arjuda Ramkapal for greenlighting not one, but two Tears of the Kingdom pods with more gaming coverage to come. Thanks to Devin Ronaldo for producing both of these episodes and chiming in on this one. Keep your ears peeled for. Our Ringerverse Spiderverse crossover content. And until I talk to you next, please leave the poor Quarrocks alone. Like all of us,
3: they're just looking for a friend.
0: This episode is brought to you by State Farm.